the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome to the conversation. Joining us today in studio is the senior pastor of Cummings Park Church in Menlo Park, Pastor Memphis Latchison, who also hosts the program So Loved, heard Sunday evenings at 9 p.m. right here on KFAX. We'll tell you a bit more about the program a little bit later on in our conversation. Meanwhile, Pastor Latchison, great to have you with us today. Glad to be here. Thanks. You are a Bay Area kid, born and raised, I understand, originally from uh, Pittsburgh. That's correct. Uh, I was actually born in Martinez and, and, and raised in Pittsburgh. I uh, graduated from Pittsburgh High School, and so I'm definitely a, a Bay Area kid for sure. Graduate from Pittsburgh High School, and uh, you also spent some time, I understand, back in uh, Atlanta. You, uh, you got your degree in sociology at Morehouse College. Yeah, yeah, great experience. Uh, wouldn't change that for the world. Um, went to, to college in 1997. Graduated, took me a little longer than what I expected, but graduated 2002. Uh, had a great experience there. Uh, that's definitely where God um, showed me my call on my life and, and, and really spoke to me about pastoring. Some folks would say, gee, a pastor with a degree in sociology. Well, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Given the human condition and the challenges that we all face, has, was that something that was intentional in terms of deciding to study sociology heading into full-time ministry? Well, not necessarily. Um, I actually kind of started off thinking I wanted to go into poli-sci and maybe even go the lawyer route, Mm -hmm. you know. But um, after taking a few sociology classes, I thought, wow, and really studying the the, the subject, I thought that, wow, this would be a great way to uh, learn about um, different types of groups of people and how... Uh, they operate, um, how we uh, distinguish between them, um, and then apply that to the church because uh, within the church you're going to have a lot of different types of groups of people. And so that was kind of my logic there, just learning to study different types of groups of people so that way I can apply that somehow to the church. Um, And then not to mention, you know, also that um, Martin Luther King graduated from Morehouse College, and uh, I was always a big fan of his and he studied sociology there. So that kind of also led me in that direction, too. So This is an interesting trajectory that the Lord has taken you down. I'll, I'll mention as an aside that you also have a degree, a master's degree in business administration from Keller Graduate School of Management. So sociology, interest in poli-sci, you have mm-hmm. got a background in management, and mm-hmm. here you are as a full-time pastor. And mm-hmm. some listeners right now must be thinking, wow, this is a, this is an interesting path that the Lord has, has led you down. Give me the sense when when did, uh, when did you start to begin to see sort of the, the pieces fitting together and the Lord specifically calling you into ministry? Yeah, so um, specifically it, it happened um, back in 1997, right after I graduated from high school. I, I kind of, um, like most high schoolers during that time after you graduate, are kind of not really sure what you're going to do. Um, I had a couple of different options, um, and I, I actually 
wanted to go to UC Davis originally to play basketball because I was a big basketball person, and um, that ended up not working out. Uh, got accepted into Morehouse College. Um, wasn't really sure I wanted to go that far away to Atlanta, um, but after speaking to a couple of my mentors, um, they they kind of influenced me in that direction, said it would be a great opportunity. But um, the interesting thing is that I, I didn't um, have uh, money to go. Uh, hadn't, I'd say this more like just interesting. This is a big problem. <laughs> right, big, big problem. I was accepted, but I didn't have any, any scholarships, didn't have any money. Um, really, uh, you know, hadn't really looked into financial aid either. I, I think we had applied, but hadn't really looked into that. But um, I kind of really just went out there on faith because um, I felt that God, you know, had spoke to me, this is where I want you to go. And so, uh, interesting, me and my mom just got on the plane, had never been there before, uh, got to the airport, and um, when we got there, uh, we had taken a a bus uh, to the school, and um, while I was there at the school, uh, I saw all these students lined up, and uh, they they were being turned away if they didn't have their financial aid in order and if they uh, didn't have the money. Wow. And, and so and you basically arrived with an app, with an acceptance letter. That's it. And that's it. And that's wow. it. Yeah. And so um, I really felt that God was, you know, calling me to graduate from this school and attend this school. And I felt that I just needed to just speak with someone that could actually help and do something about my situation. Maybe the president, somebody. Right. Um <clears throat> But I got discouraged, and I went back. Uh, we ended up going all the way back to the, the airport after seeing all these other young men being turned away. And uh, when I was at the airport, uh, interesting enough, I'm kind of giving you the short version, I saw um, three young ladies coming off the, the plane. And this is kind of you know going into detail about how I got called into the ministry. And um, these three young ladies, I kind of recognized them from uh, this Christian group called Out of Eden. And I used to listen to, to them quite a bit, and I said, wow, that looks like this, this, this Christian group called Out of Eden. I spoke with them, told them why I was there. They ended up um, t- encouraging me to, to, to keep the faith and, and go back to the school and, and see what God would do. Um, and the thing about it was they happened to, to, to go back and forth uh, to Pittsburgh, California, where I'm from, and they attended a church in Pittsburgh, and their father had lived in Pittsburgh. I had no idea, but we're meeting all the way in Atlanta, just happenstance. And so they encouraged me to, to, to go back to the school. So I told my mom, she ended up calling the school, talking with someone on the phone. The lady happened to be a Christian, and the lady said, you know what, I have just the person that, that can help you. We're going to send a Morehouse van over there to pick you up and bring you back. And so um, we end up going back to the school. Long story short, I end up speaking with the vice provost and saying to him, you know, sir, I don't have any money to go here, um, but I know this is where God has called me to be. Um, and, you know, I'll work, I'll, I'll do whatever I need to do, you know, to, to pay for it. But as of right now, I don't, I don't have any, any money to go here. He said, son, you know, don't worry about it. We're going to make sure you graduate here from, from school because we could see that you, you, you have purpose. And they end up giving me $8,000 to start me off, just free. That right there got me to a point to where, of course, I graduated, right? Um, but during that time, during my matriculation through that, I end up really having some other experiences with God, too, that really allowed me to 
um, see that he had called me into the ministry. Um, and this was, you know, when I was about 18 years old. Um, and um, one of the, the biggest things that was on my mind when going out there was that I needed to find um, a church home that I can get connected with because like so many college youth, when they go off, they fall away, right? But that was something I didn't want to happen, and I knew that one of the the ways that I was going to not allow that to happen was to get connected to a good church. And so for a good part of my time, I was visiting churches, trying to figure out which one was the right one. Good collection there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So so long story short, you know, that that whole um, time that I was there, um, God, God really began to just grow me up and mature me for ministry. If you've just joined our conversation today in studio, Pastor Memphis Latchison, he's senior pastor at Cummings Park Church in Menlo Park, also the host of So Love, the broadcast heard Sunday evenings at 9 p.m. right here on KFAX. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of the conversation with Pastor Memphis Latchison right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the program. In studio with us today, we're pleased to have the senior pastor from Cummings Park Church in Menlo Park and a host of So Loved, heard Sundays at 9 p.m. here on KFAX, Pastor Memphis Latchison. Pastor, you were sharing a bit of your your story of the way in which God very obviously and miraculously brought you to Morehouse and provided the resources for you to be able to graduate, having literally arrived at the Mm -hmm. airport in Atlanta with an acceptance letter, Mm -hmm. and that was the extent of it. But take us back. Had you been raised in a Christian home? I had not. Um, Interesting, I I started off uh, in when I was about, I would say, five years old. I started off in a Christian science, and we had some people that we knew, uh, at least my mom knew them, that were family members that went to a Christian science church, Mary Baker, Eddie. Oh, yes. Um, and, uh, you know, I kind of, during that time, I remember learning about the Ten Commandments in, in children's ministry, uh, and that was something that always stu- stood with me. Uh, my mom would also um, recite the Lord's Prayer with us at nighttime, but we weren't, we weren't devout. You know, we would go here and there. And then there was a period uh, when I went into, I would say, about 10 years old, where um, we just didn't go to church at all. Just didn't go to church at all. So uh, wasn't really raised in the church in that sense. Um, had that beginning in, in Christian science. And then, you know, as, as I got older, uh, I began to really feel that um, I had a purpose for my life. And one of the things that really... Um, allowed me to, to, to realize that was um, when I was younger, there was someone that was close to us that had died. And I had, um, I, and I was probably about six years old, I think somewhere around that time. And I had wondered, okay, what, what happens to people when they die? And where do they go? You know, um, do they just disappear? And, you know, so these were questions that I was answering that my mom didn't have an answer for me. You know, she would just answer the the, the, the typical uh, answer, they go to heaven. Everyone goes to heaven, you know? <laughs> and so, um, so I really, at that age, I really began to, to seek, like, purpose because I, I kind of logically realized that, you know, um, everyone dies, and if everyone dies, and if God is real, then he has a, a purpose for why we're here. And, and for whatever reason that we're here, we need to make sure that we—, we we fulfill our purpose before we die. So, so that way, you know, we don't, 
face him one day and say, purpose incomplete, <laughs> you know. And so I really began to seek what my purpose was for, for a long time. And it wasn't until, you know, I, I became 18 that I really realized that I was called to be a pastor and I was literally put on the earth to pastor and to lead people to God. Um, but from about age 14, uh, the, um, 1997, actually October 31st, 19, I mean, 1993, um, October 31st is when I got saved. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And from that point on, I began to realize that, you know, this is my purpose, you know, and began to, I, for a long part of it, I thought it was to play basketball too, like, like many of us play sports, you know, but I, I realized that God had a higher calling for me when I turned 18. You've, so. uh, you know, the role as, as a pastor, obviously teaching is a big part of what you do. Yes. Uh, in fact, you have sort of a, a dual profession here in so that you are um, a, a staff member at Santa Clara University in the theology department. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk a bit about that in mm-hmm. a moment. Mm-hmm. But this sense of of imparting knowledge and teaching is something that really has been part of your DNA since the beginning, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, I really believe in teaching the Word of God with simplicity and understanding, and actually that's uh, our vision. Our vision at Cummings Park Church is to um, teach the Word of God with simplicity and understanding. And then the second part of that is to raise up uh, godly, um, Christ-like leaders uh, in three places, in the church, the family, and in the community. And so um, those are big pieces, you know, of my ministry teaching, because uh, I really feel that, you know, in many churches, there's a lot of hooping and hollering, and there's a lot of just entertainment, right? But not enough teaching. And, and when people, you know, go to church, they end up feeling good in service, and, and they have a good show. But, you know, at the end of the day, they don't have anything to take back home with them that's going to help them through the challenges of life. Anybody who enjoys a good uh, T-bone steak will tell you that uh, the most flavorful part is in the sizzle. Yeah, But yeah. what you really need is the meat of the word. That's you need it. the steak. That's it. That's it. And, and so I'm, you know, if you come to my ministry and you hear even our, our radio program, So Loved, uh, you're going to see that I'm... I'm I like going line upon line, precept upon precept, and, and taking, you know, the Word of God and really um, going through the Bible on different subjects and seeing what the Bible has to say. Uh, so that way we can, you know, get rid of all of our, our, our uh, non-biblical teachings, uh, non-biblical experiences, and really let the Word of God shape, you know, our life and our experience and, and our train of thought. The passion for that as foundation to what you're doing in your ministry, certainly in your life, where do you think that comes from? You you shared with me off the air that you came from a somewhat challenging family background. From an early age, I made some decisions that I was going to be committed to God. Um, and I had a challenging background where I grew up in a family where there's lots of alcoholism um, and um my dad wasn't around, but he was an alcoholic. Uh, my mom was an alcoholic during that time. Um, and the, the men that she was dating in and out of her life were alcoholics also. And for a long period of time from the age seven to about 14, actually right around the time when we got saved, uh, actually me and my family got saved, me and my sister and my mom got saved all together. Um, we lived with a, with a, with a gentleman that... Um, he, he was an alcoholic. And I mean, and he was one of the most functional alcoholics I've ever known. <laughs> I mean, this, this man um, uh, would wake up in the morning and, and he would be ready to go to work, but he would be drinking all night. 
probably one of the the only people that I know of um, that that actually could do that. But I grew up around this and 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 uh, grew up in a lot of domestic violence in the household also. And I saw you know alcohol as something that was really kind of tearing my family apart. Uh, and and so I made a commitment uh, at a young age. You know what? I will never be like that. I will never. Um, drink alcohol, and to this day, I have not uh, touched alcohol. I've not uh, allowed it to go into my mouth at all, and so I'm very thankful for that, for, for the grace of God, you know, being able to give me that ability to do that too. But um, even with um, with you know my family members, there's been a lot of mental illness in my family. Um, my sister, uh, my beloved sister, should I say, uh, she actually took her own life. Um, uh, about I'd say about 2009, um, so so about seven seven or eight years ago, and um, she was a heavy drinker, heavy drinker, um, heavy, uh, had a lot of mental illness going on in her life, uh, depression, um, bipolar, just a lot of lot of um, mental illness in and out of the hospital. Um, but you know when she um, took her life, she called me. She called me the same night and um, wanted to talk to me, you know, and uh, she was had been drinking, obviously. uh, And, you know, not to get, you know, make this real somber. But, you know, she told me, uh, you know, I'm sitting here with the gun and I'm uh, I'm about to about to take my life. And obviously I was trying to convince her not to, you know, called uh, 911. And I was in California at the time and she had been in Georgia. uh, And, you know, she actually ended up taking her life that same night. Um, but, you know, a lot of this, you know, I, I, I saw um, alcohol had a, a really big, big part in this, you know, and, and, and even the Bible talks about how, you know, uh, let them that, that um, want to, to, to be sorrowful in their life just drink their lives away, you know. And, and you know, I don't want to come across as someone that's, you know, just, you know, adamantly against alcohol because I, I don't think that, you know, there's anything per se wrong with simply drinking alcohol. But when you begin to abuse it and you begin to uh, get drunk and you begin to uh, uh, become someone that continues to, to depend on that to escape reality, then obviously there is something very wrong with that. And I think too many people deal with that. And, and, and we need to help them somehow, too. You know, And clearly you've seen from your family life experience um, – the turmoil, the pain that results from that. And it's fascinating because a magnet against another magnet, dependent upon how the poles are situated, can either attract or repel. Mm-hmm. Some people that would grow up in that kind of an environment, mm-hmm. having been around alcohol all the time, mm-hmm. are oftentimes attracted and pulled into it. Mm-hmm. In your mm-hmm. case, though, it, it repelled you. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I've I've wondered about that myself, too, because, you know— um, I wondered, you know, how how did I know to make a good decision, you know, in these experiences? Because a lot of people in these experiences, um, you know, growing up without a father, growing up in this type of environment, you know, I should have turned out the same way, you know, statistically speaking. Right. But I didn't. And, you know, I I mean, obviously, I want to credit it, you know, to the grace of God. But actually, I also think that there's some. There's some level of me realizing too what God is doing in my life, and, and then choices. and then making choices exactly, making a choice and a decision that you know what I'm not gonna let this uh, be my um, 
destination. I'm not going to let this ruin my life and, and actually realizing that, you know, and then and then making the, the right decision, you know, throughout the throughout my life. And, and so that was something I did. And then the other thing was I realized that, you know, I can't do anything without God. There's nothing. And so for, for a, you know, for the majority of my life from the age 14, I, I've been so devoted to God, not to say I've been perfect because I haven't uh, and, and no one is. But, um, you know, if I find myself slipping or, or making bad decisions, one thing I can say is that I always do is I always know how to come back to God you know, and not continue in, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, the wayward way uh, that, that goes against what God teaches, you know. In studio with us today, Pastor Memphis Latchison. He's senior pastor at Cummings Park Church in Menlo Park. More information, by the way, about the church ministry on the web at cummingsparkchurch.org. That's cummingsparkchurch.org. We'll talk a bit more about the ministry coming up later on in our conversation. A brief time out, back with more right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to our conversation with Pastor Memphis Latchison, Senior Pastor at Cummings Park Church in Menlo Park. They meet uh, every week there at 531 Pierce Road in Menlo Park. And you can get more details on the web at cummingsparkchurch.org. That's cummingsparkchurch.org. You mentioned in the previous segment, Pastor, about the suicide of your sister. How did that impact you? Wow. Um... Interesting. Uh, during that time, um, I had literally just quit my job. And so I was in 2009. Uh, I've always known that um, that I was going to move back to California and begin um, going in the direction of starting a church or pastoring a church. Right. Uh, for ministry. Um, I was 30 years old and um and I had literally heard from God, uh, I want you to go back to California um, and, 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 uh, and quit your job. And so I, 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 I had a family already, too. I had a wife. Uh, I was already married a year in. Um, I just had had a daughter also. Um, and so this was not an easy decision um, to do, obviously. But I'm one of those people when, when I hear from God, it's like I, I just do it. <laughs> I just do it. I jump in head first. But um, when I spoke with my pastor during that time, um, just to get you know counseling from him on this, and 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 if I was hearing from God correctly, um, you know he, he said, "Tell me exactly what God told you to do." So I told him, I said, "God told me to move to California. Did He tell you to start a church? No. Do exactly what He said. Don't do too much or don't do too little. Do exactly what He said." So I had literally uh, began selling all my stuff. And got a plan together. My wife is from Georgia, and she moved in with her family. Um, I moved moved back out here with a friend, with a good friend. Stayed with him um, for about a month while I was looking for a job and trying to get settled down here. Um, and during that time, that month that I had moved back, that's when it happened. My sister took her life, called me while I was out in California. And so to complicate stuff even more, I'm without a job. Right. I, I'm trying to really, you know, do what God's calling me to do. And it's a new adventure um, that he's calling me to. And it couldn't have been a worse time. It couldn't have been a worse time when this happened. 
But I thank God for his strength to really get me through that because, um, you know, this was someone that I obviously grew up with. Her and I were best friends um, for a long period of time. Um, and, And for her to take her life, you know, I had so many mixed emotions about this. She had called you. The she, day that this happened, yeah, you obviously, as you indicated, tried to talk her out of it. I tried to talk her out of it. When did you get the news, and did you struggle with, at some point, um, a sense of guilt? They say survivor's guilt. Absolutely, yeah, I did, I did. You know, And I had so many mixed emotions about it. Um, I, I felt, well, maybe I shouldn't have left Georgia. Maybe I heard God wrong. Maybe I'm not supposed to be in California at this time, because if I, if I— if I was still in Georgia, I could probably have done something more about that. Mm-hmm. Um, there were times that my sister had gone in and out of the hospital, and she had dealt with suicide before. Um, and so part of me um, felt like, well, this is just another one of those times, and everything will be okay. Um, when I when I moved back to California, um, she had been going through a lot in Georgia, had been going through a whole lot in Georgia. Um, she had been in and out of the hospital. Uh, there are even times where, you know, I didn't know how to deal with it. I honestly just didn't know how to deal with it. And there were times where um, I got so frustrated with having to deal with that. And then even during this time, my mom had some mental issues going on, too, during this time. Um, she was in and out of the hospital in Georgia too. So I had I had two of the the women that I loved the most. One of them raised me. My other one was my my sister. They were both in and out of the hospital during this time in Georgia. Um, and just really, my mom had been dealing with psychotic behavior, um, and and uh, and so there was a point where I literally got fed up <laughs> with it. It's like I can't do this by myself. I'm the a young sense of man. Being overwhelmed. Being overwhelmed. I have a family. Just got married. Mm-hmm. Just had a daughter. You know, still trying to, uh, you know, really manage all this. Um, plus, I had a, I had a, a Bible study ministry going on out there that I was, you know, um, doing. Uh, and and so, I there was a there was a a, a a guy that my sister was living with at the time there, and. Um, and and I just I kind of just said you know what um, I'm here for her but I just can't there's you know I don't have a lot of time to to deal with this you know I'm working and so this I say all that to say this that you know when she took her life I I did feel guilty because back then I felt like you know I shouldn't have I shouldn't have um, I should have t- taken it more seriously was there a point that you got frustrated. Um, angry with God. And I ask that mm-hmm. question because I think of this fascinating trajectory, God sparing you through the ravages of alcoholism, as you had seen in your own family growing up, mm-hmm. saving you, calling you to Morehouse College, mm-hmm. miraculously providing for you mm-hmm. to be able to graduate, mm-hmm. finding a woman, falling in love, mm-hmm. marrying feeling that God has called you back to California to start your ministry, mm-hmm. and then this happens. Mm-hmm. Did you have moments, Pastor, where you said, God, what are you doing? What, uh, mm-hmm. what am I missing here? Mm-hmm. What am I not understanding? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there, there are, I think, many times in our lives where 
God gives us certain and bits and pieces of, of what he'd like us to do, but then there are also times where he's just silent. Yeah, if he gives us the whole, if we all knew the whole plan from uh-huh. the beginning, I think we'd all be terrified. That's right, that's right. And then we wouldn't need faith. We wouldn't need him because I, I know the whole plan already. Why do I need God? I can do it myself, right? So I think a lot of it, um, he gives us our daily bread because he wants us to depend on him rather than the bread <laughs> itself, right? Um, oh, and so, um, and so, yeah, th- there were plenty of times, and that was definitely one of those times uh, where I began to 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 doubt. I had thoughts of doubt with God. You know, um, God, what are you doing? What am I doing? You know, um, this. You know, I must have made the wrong decision coming back to California. Maybe I need to turn around and go back to Georgia and not, you know, pursue ministry here. You know, and and I think much of it, too, has to do with, you know, us hearing from God and then obeying God and then really the enemy, you know, being mad at us for that and coming at us with everything he has to try to prevent us. Well, you got to imagine. I mean, I think, for example, about Moses and uh, leading the children of Israel out of all those years of captivity, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when they reached the shore of the Red Sea. And they got an army coming in strong behind them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they have, you know, some sticks and stones, and that's about it. Mm-hmm. And yet here's Pharaoh's well-equipped army and an ocean in front of them. Mm-hmm. There had to have been moments when Moses said to God, take my staff and do what? <laughs> and you think, Lord, you're taxing my ability to trust you here mm-hmm. big time. Yeah, But that... That stretching, isn't it a lot like exercising a muscle? They say that if you don't use your muscles, you atrophy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Isn't it, in a sense, then the same thing true with faith, that God will allow circumstances to happen, not because he's abandoned us or trying to punish us or has forgotten about us, but rather because he wants us to exercise that faith muscle so mm-hmm. that his fullness, his power, his strength, his mercy um, his divine plan can be executed in us and through us. That's right. That's right. And, you know, I, I think I think it is, I think faith is like a muscle. You know, um, there's a, a passage in the Bible where Jesus uh, answers uh, his disciples uh, when they ask him to increase their faith. And it's an interesting passage because, you know, you would think that, Jesus would give them more faith and say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to give you more faith. But that's not what he said. His response was, if you had faith as a mustard seed, you could say into this mountain, be thou removed, go jump into sea and it would obey you. And so what, what I think a lot of people don't understand, it wasn't that the disciples needed more faith. It was more of how they were using their faith. Right. And so he said, you know, the way you're supposed to use your faith is the same way you use it like a seed. Um, you plant it, and then it grows. But they weren't using the faith that they had, and I think a lot of times God allows us to go through things where it will literally force us to use our faith. We see circumstances sometimes and I think run into that rock and hard place or, you know, pin it into the corner as the sayings go, and we have a sense that, well, we're suddenly now having to question God's ability to save us or to rescue us from these circumstances, Mm -hmm. when in fact, the question that ought to be posed is not whether or not he is able, 
but do we trust? That's and it. And how much do we trust? That's it. That's it. And I think this life is about trusting him. Um, trusting him is, is so important because if we don't trust him, then ultimately what we're saying is, Lord, I can do this all by myself. I don't need you to do you know, what I'm supposed to do. And so God wants us to be dependent on him. And, um, you know, the Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith. And he that comes to him must uh, recognize that he is and that he's a reward of them that diligently seek him. And so, you know, through trust and through faith and through leaning on him and being confident in God, you know, we are uh, saying to God, I need you. Only through you can I do this. I can't do this on my own. And that's what God's after. He's after uh, us being in a position where we are doing that rather than uh, trusting in man or trusting in other things, you know, to get us through what we're going through. Let's take a quick time out. We're going to pick up the conversation right around the corner as we continue our visit today. Pastor Memphis Latchison, senior pastor at Cummings Park Church in Menlo Park. Information on the web at CummingsParkChurch.org. That's CummingsParkChurch.org. By the way, if you like what you've been hearing today and would like to tune into his broadcast, we invite you to do so. The program so loved heard Sunday evenings at 9 p.m. right here on KFAX. A timeout back with more right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to The Conversation. We continue our visit today with Pastor Memphis Latchison, Senior Pastor at Cummings Park Church in Menlo Park, and host of So Loved, heard Sunday evenings at 9 p.m. right here on KFAX. We were talking, Pastor, just before the break about life experiences that cause us to flex our faith muscle, that cause us to um, really take account of our trust level in the Lord. And it's interesting because uh, there's sometimes, I think, a, a failure of us to recognize the correlation between trust and the depth or nature of relationship that we have with the Lord. Mm-hmm. People know that, well, if I'm going to have a successful relationship with my spouse, there needs to be a sense of trust. Mm-hmm. And the degree to which we're capable of trusting each other is also demonstrative of how deep we can go in terms of the richness and fullness mm-hmm the sense of reward that we glean out of that mm-hmm. relationship with mm-hmm. our spouse. And yet sometimes there's, while perhaps a mental acknowledgement of this, a disconnect when it comes to our relationship on the vertical plane with the mm-hmm. Lord, mm-hmm. that there is, I believe, a direct correlation with our degree of trust mm-hmm. in him mm-hmm. and the depth and richness of our relationship. Do you think that's true, that sometimes the lack of trust is demonstrative of the fact that we really haven't put a lot of work in to really get to know him in mm-hmm. such a way that we can trust him? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, trust is uh, built through experience. And so if we are not putting forth an effort to spend time with God in prayer you know, in, in, in fellowship, you know, whether it's at church and fellowship of the word, the study of the word, then we're not building trust for him. We're not building trust for him. And so the only way you can build trust with someone is to spend time with him. That's it. That's it. You know, whether it's in a marriage relationship, whether it's in a friend relationship, you have to spend time with the person in order to to trust them. And so same way with God. You have to spend time with him. And then, 
you know, another thing while you were just talking, um, I also saw, too, that the more we begin to trust God, the more we're able to have better relationships, you know, with with friends and with family and those relationships that we care about. Right. So so to the degree that we we trust God is going to be to the degree that we trust our, our relationships that we have with other people. And, and ultimately, our trust should be in God, right? Um, because even in marriage, I mean, just like, you know, other people that are marriage, there's a lot of things um, with, with my marriage that over the years you've had to build trust. And, and trust grows over the years, right? Love grows. All of that grows. But there have been times where, you know, I felt like in my marriage or even in my other relationships where um, I, couldn't, I couldn't trust like I wanted to. But um, I could, if I could just trust God, right, in this situation, then that will allow me to open up trust in the relationship. Is part of the challenge there the fact that we are living in this broken, sin-laden condition and that in, in any relationship, and certainly true in marriages, that there's, there's two things that we can count on, and that is to be disappointed and to disappoint others. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> absolutely. Just, it's just part of our, our, our sin nature as yeah. we're working through this process of, of first salvation and then, and I think it's interesting that Paul said to work out our mm-hmm. salvation as mm-hmm. we as we head down that road toward sanctification mm-hmm. and that's a, that's a process isn't it that's not an overnight happening it is it, it's a it's a total process um you know it, it's something that that's going to that you got to make a, de- a decision daily to do to continue to work out you know your salvation um to to continue to to die daily to yourself um and and, and just you know, as you said, uh, disappointing and being disappointed. You know, I tell people all the time, um, my church, I say, look, I'm just a man. You know, do not depend on me because I will fail you. I will fail you. I'm going to disappoint you. I tell my wife the same thing. You know, there is, you know, some level of trust that you, you have to have for me. And there is a level of standard that I have to uphold as as a pastor, as a man of God. But at the end of the day, you know, your trust should be in God and not me, because I will fail you. I'm going to disappoint you. And a lot of the outcome of the, the circumstances of our life relates directly back to, to you use the word decision. Choice mm-hmm. would be another word I would use. Uh, you talked earlier about choosing not to follow the path of alcoholism that you'd seen demonstrated inside of your family, mm-hmm. but instead choosing the pathway of sobriety, mm-hmm. choosing to follow God. Mm-hmm. We are faced by so many decisions every single day. And I think realizing the nature of the outcome of those choices mm-hmm. and being able to then make the right choice mm-hmm. is not only critically important when it comes to our day-to-day affairs, our relationships with others, both on the horizontal plane but on the vertical plane too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, You know, one of the things that really keeps me kind of, uh, I guess, rooted and centered. Yeah. Yeah. Is is realizing that that my choices and my decision affects other people, you know, not only just myself, but it affects uh, my wife. It affects my my daughters. Um, And so, you know, I don't want to be that that pastor or that father that, you know, when they get older, Dad, why did you make that choice? You know, why did you do that? 
you know, I don't want to have to explain. <laughs> and so that's that's part of it, too. But big part of it is setting an example. Then. But yes, yeah, setting an example, setting an example for them um, to to learn how to make good decisions, to learn how to make good choices and also um, allowing them to to really see that in their dad, allowing them to see that in, in me as a pastor, too. Do you see value then in the sense of um, making those right choices, setting the right example in terms of the overall aspect of mentoring? And I ask that question because you mentioned early on in our conversation today about the influence that mentors had in your life absolutely at key points in your life, particularly in terms of the decision to travel back to Morehouse College mm-hmm. with nothing more than an acceptance letter and, and barely two nickels mm-hmm. to rub together in your pocket, mm-hmm. but that part of that decision had been influenced by the mentors in your life. Mm-hmm. When you look at young people today, and I know, Pastor, you have a, a huge burden for um, the the current generation of millennials, Gen Xers, that, that struggle oftentimes with decisions and choices in life and, and seem to sometimes be very much disconnected from the faith of their fathers, perhaps mm-hmm. raised in the church and then mm-hmm. wandering away when they head off to college or university, mm-hmm. uh, maybe making some wrong choices. How key, how critical is it to have good, strong mentors around young people today and for us to serve as mentors toward mm-hmm. them, to mm-hmm. them? It, it's critical. It's very critical. It's vital. And I think it, 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 it's, you know, in many cases, it, it's the determining factor of uh, whether, especially for men and women, uh, whether whether or not you know they're going to go in the direction that God wants them to go. You know, and because your I, life gone an entirely different track. Mm-hmm. Certainly, choice was a big key to this. Yeah, but had those mentors not been present and given the the the, the turmoil, the challenges that you faced mm-hmm. as a young man growing up in a broken home with mm-hmm. evidence of, of alcoholism by both your parents, lacking those mentors, could your life have headed in a very different direction? Absolutely, absolutely, it could have. Um, you know, even though I didn't have a, a a biological father there mentoring me like like how you know we need, um, there were other godly men um, that that I could remember that were there. I remember having a, a a basketball coach. He was a godly man, godly man. Uh, even took me to church a couple times with him. Um, I remember watching him uh, one day when I was probably about ten years old. Was over his house uh, with um, his son, and we were friends and. Um, we were getting ready to have dinner and this homeless lady came and knocked on the door and she had, uh, I guess her children with her. And she also had an alarm clock that she was going from house to house selling. And she said, you know, I'm, I'm selling this alarm clock to get some money to feed my children. And this was one of the times where I was watching him. I was like, I wonder how he's going to handle this, right? As a godly man, as someone that I looked up to, how's he going to handle this? And he said, you know what? Keep your alarm clock. We're getting ready to have dinner. Won't you come in on the inside and have dinner with us? And so they came inside. You know, we had dinner. He he made sure that he prayed before we ate, right? And then we sat there and we all ate dinner together with this completely stranger with with her and her children. Um, and I and I remember thinking, that's how I want to be. That's the type of man that I want to be when I grow up. And so just little things like that um, really directed my life and really showed me what it means to be a, a godly man. And, 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 I, and I knew that that's exactly how I want to be. 
in contrast to you know how I saw other men, you know, also uh, uh, that that were in my life too. Let's pause on that point. We'll come back to more of our conversation. Pastor Memphis Latchison today in studio from Cummings Park Church in Menlo Park. He also has a broadcast here on KFAX Sunday evenings at 9 p.m. called So Loved. You can get more information on the web at solovedbygod.com. That's solovedbygod.com. We'll take a brief time out. Back with more right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to The Conversation. Pastor Memphis Latchison today with us in studio. He pastors Cummings Park Church in the city of Menlo Park. Tell us a bit about the ministry there. Yeah, so um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, our vision is to preach and teach the Word of God with simplicity and understanding, uh, also to uh, train up godly leaders in the family, the church, and the community. Um, and also uh, prepare for the for Jesus's return. You know, I'm big on that. Really teaching on on end times and also um, preparing for His return. And then also um, our mission is to demonstrate the unconditional love of God to every individual in hopes that every individual will uh, will receive the love of God and and, and believe in it. And so uh, that's what our ministry is based on. Um, it is a small church right now, but it's growing. And um, we're really trying to build a foundation of leaders right now in the church so that way we can, um, from that, uh, grow other parts in our ministry. We have a children's ministry. We have um, also a a men's ministry that meets on Wednesday nights at 7. We have a a dynamic women's ministry that's led by my associate pastor, who is a woman also, um, and uh, she teaches our women. Um, I I pretty much teach the men on, on Wednesdays. We also have a great children's ministry. We have a um, a great uh, music ministry that's yet led by a, uh, a younger woman also. So we have a lot going on, uh, but we're a small church, but we're growing. So we are looking for more people to come in and serve. If you feel a call to help a, a, a small church grow, this is definitely the place to be. Well, you know, I hear the whole thing started with just 12 guys. Back yeah. in the days, yeah, so yeah, nothing yeah, wrong, yeah, nothing wrong yeah. with small, you know, yeah. what they say, small yeah, church, that's it. big, that's big it. vision. That's Part it. of your heartbeat too is for reaching millennials. We we made a brief reference to that earlier. Yeah. Expand upon that a little. Yeah, bit. Yeah, you know, um, I believe, of course, you know, and it's truth. It's a fact that you know, younger people are the future, you know, of of the world, and so. You know, um, today a lot of millennials are are falling away from God. Uh, that they're not, they have no passion for God. I see, um, and it has to do, I believe, with a lot of you know what the media puts out, a lot of um, uh, what what they hear in music today. A lot of the people that they look up to aren't godly, whether they're you know in sports, whether they're uh, in in the entertainment industry, and so this is what's what our our, our youth are 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 looking at and focusing on. And so because of that, you know, these are the people who they're following. And so um, what I try to do, too, is, you know, at my church is try to try to really have a have a place where uh, younger people can come and and really relate uh, and also have things in place that will allow them to to just enjoy and be passionate about God. And um you know, I also 
another thing is is that I believe that millennials today and in people in general, but in particularly millennials, uh, they they don't have a sense that um, that God cares for them and and really loves them. Um, and so I'm really big on telling people and 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 younger people that hey, God loves you. God loves you, and really teaching on that, and and you know, hence the the, the radio ministry so loved based on John John three sixteen, but really teaching that that God loves you, and that's really first base. That that's really where everything else uh, comes from. That has to be our foundation. Just realizing that God loves us, and um, and I think what happens is, is too many people they they try so hard to love God, and then realize that they don't measure up to that. Right. They fail at it, you know, uh, but they don't focus enough on. Wait a second. God loves me. And I think really the only way that you can love people is you have to first realize that he loves me and then take that same love that he has given you and be able to pass that off to other people. If you can suddenly have that that awakening, both spiritually and I think intellectually, of the recognition that uh God loved us so much Mm -hmm. that he sent his son to die for us, Mm -hmm. that he would pay the price on our behalf. Because why? Because God wants to be in relationship with us. And I think this is is the the point of connection that oftentimes religion um, fails to adequately address. Uh, Religion is about a matter of practices and a list of do's and don'ts and beliefs. But relationship is, as the word describes, what it means to walk in fellowship, in communication, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in communion yes. with someone else. And we, we get the level of relationship or what it means on the horizontal plane. On the vertical plane, it takes on even so much more meaning and recognize that, no, as you just pointed out, Pastor, we're not good enough mm-hmm. to be able to reach up and love God. But... God so loved us that he reached down that while we were yet sinners, not good enough, not worthy at all, Mm -hmm. he sent his son to die on our behalf that in him and through him we could be forgiven and reconciled back unto the Father. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's an amazing Mm -hmm. thing that people oftentimes hear the preaching of the good news of the gospel. think, well, it's all about fire insurance. Mm -hmm. It's about people not Mm -hmm. wanting to go to hell. But the irony is that's just part of the message. The real core of the gospel message is the very creator of the universe wants to get to know us, Mm -hmm. wants us to get to know him, Mm -hmm. and wants to walk in daily fellowship with us, in in communion with us, a word that's not often used very much and I think terribly misunderstood or misapplied. If people really understood the the totality of the meaning of that word and be able to capture even for a, a fleeting moment that God, very creator of the universe, so passionately loves us that he wants to have communion with us, I think it would be an absolute mind blow. Do you get the sense, too, that young people today need to have their 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 sense of calling or purpose addressed? And I ask that question because oftentimes I think it's inaccurately said that millennials today don't care about their environment around mm-hmm. them. They don't they're they just it's all about pleasure and fun and, and going to the next concert and things of this sort. And yet you see a sense of passion in wanting to protect and preserve the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, do things to to care for the planet. Mm-hmm. I get the sense that millennials in fact do very much want to leave a positive mark mm-hmm. on the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Boy, what better way to fulfill 
that, but through the gospel That's of Jesus it. Christ and be yeah. able to, to, as an empowered believer with the power of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. change lives, touch lives, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and right the world in a sense and everywhere that we go and every life that we touch. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, I think that a lot of the, the younger people, the millennials, um, I see that also that, that they, they, they want to do something good in the world, but a lot of them, you know, don't see the connection with doing good with God. It's almost like they want to do it without God, right? But, you know, there's no better way to, to do it without God. And in fact, there's no good without God, you know, and, and I think, you know, what we have to do as a church and as, as leaders, um, we have to begin to show them the connection, you know, that they, that they need to have God in order to do these things and that there's no real way of having that, that good without him. And so absolutely, I think that, I think that millennials need to know that they're, they're loved by God. Absolutely. They need to know that. And then they need to have that sense of purpose with God because, you know, as the Bible says, all things are possible with God and without him, you know, we can't, we can't do, we can't do what we need to do. Yeah. Early on in the conversation, we mentioned about your sort of bivocation here. In addition Mm -hmm. to serving as senior pastor at Cummings Park Church in Menlo Park, you also work in the theology department at Santa Clara University. I said, well, wait a minute. Now, what's a good Protestant boy doing? (laughs) (laughs) Working at the Catholic University is fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. um, You know, I I really feel God led me in that direction. Uh, You know, I, I often ask God, God, why do you still even have me working a, a, a daytime job? I want to be able to just focus, you know, just um, uh, completely and totally on, on ministry without any distractions. But, you know, I really believe God has me there uh, for a specific reason, not only just to learn uh, myself, but also to help others learn, you know, and, and I've developed some great relationships um, since I've been there. Um, I've been able to talk theology, you know, with people, with students, uh, I, I often um, am around uh, priests and 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 specifically Jesuit priests, um, it, which is uh, very interesting conversations that we have. But um, it's definitely been a, a great experience that I think is molding me and and, and helping to develop uh, character and and really even um, sharpen my purpose and, and what he's called me to do at my church and and. Uh, even even to sharpen my theology also, um, and so um, it's definitely been a great a great experience uh, working there for for Santa Clara University. That, uh, yeah. Iron sharpening iron. Iron yeah. sharpening is yeah. always a yeah, good that's thing. That's right. That's right. As yeah. we conclude our conversation today, Pastor, and I so much appreciate you taking time to be with us. Um, say a word. We talked earlier and at some length about the loss of your sister, her suicide sure, some sure. years ago. And there are e- people eavesdropping on this conversation today that say, wow, you hit home. Mm-hmm. I have struggled with the loss of a loved one, a friend. Mm-hmm. I have dealt with this feeling of if I had only said something, if I had only been there, if I'd only loved more, done more, talked more, mm-hmm. maybe the outcome might have been different. To the person that's just dealing with a tremendous sense of guilt over what has transpired, what words of encouragement can you share with them? Yeah, so I would say to that person um, that you have to you have to forgive yourself. You have to forgive yourself, and you have to know that 
you know, there are always things that, yeah, you know, we could have done certain things better. We could have said things better. We could have, you know, paid more attention. We could have took things more seriously. But at the end of the day, you know, you, you have to know that um, it's not your fault and you have to forgive yourself and you have to receive the forgiveness that God has for you. And you have to know, too, that, again, God, you know, he's so much smarter than us. And that's an understatement. <laughs> but he has everything in control. He has everything in control, you know, and um, we have to find a way to learn from, of course, our, our, our decisions that we've made and learn from our experiences and allow those experiences to build character in our life, you know, allow those experiences to teach us and to help us to make better decisions next time. And that's really all you can do. That's really all you can do, you know. You, you, and we, we ought not to go around beating ourselves up. We ought not go around um, holding that guilt. We have to release that guilt. Um, and we have to know that, you know, that you are forgiven and that, you know, God loves you, of course. And, and from this day forward, you know, just do your best from that point forward and, and, and allow that experience to, to, to just um, allow you to minister to other people, just like how I'm doing now, you know, with the, the experience that I had. You've heard, no doubt, in our conversation today, a great deal of depth in the ministry of Pastor Memphis Latchison. If you'd like to find out more, you can certainly do so by going to cummingsparkchurch.org. The church is located at 531 Pierce Road in Menlo Park. What are your service times? So we meet at 11 a.m. on Sunday morning, and then we also meet at 7 p.m. on Wednesday nights. We also do have prayer at 6.30 on Wednesday nights and prayer at uh, 10.30. And, of course, uh, you can get more information by calling the church at area code 650-323-1577. That's 650-323-1577. Or, again, online at cummingsparkchurch.org. Don't forget the broadcast, So Love, Sunday evenings at 9 p.m. right here on KFAX. And our thanks to Pastor Memphis Latchison, Senior Pastor at Cummings Park Church, for being with us today. Thanks so much, Pastor, for the Thank time. Thank you, Craig. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.